Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. Are you watching closely? To begin. I just, I'm bored. Gonna start. What plaything can you offer me today? Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, welcome to Cock and Vol Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. We're here today ostensibly to talk about Group 11, SFW, and Ruby Sparks. Mm. My guest is Niall McGowan. You can introduce yourself if you like. Oh, hey, I am the aforementioned Niall McGowan. I am from Bat Minute, which is a podcast where we look at the Batman movies from 1989 up to and including 1997 and possibly beyond after we'll have to make the decision after next season. Just one minute at a time. Have you done any coverage of the like this the sixties series or the sixty six movie? No, no, it's it's one of, one of those things that'll probably be done during hiatus projects. Okay. Like we yeah. do have in between seasons, we had like after eighty nine, we looked at all the Prince movies. Wait, aren't there like only two? There's three. There's uh, Purple Rain, yeah, Under the Cherry Moon, and Graffiti right. Bridge. Graffiti? Uh, wow, I forgot about Graffiti Bridge. Oh, it's it's atrocious. Like it was actively <laughs> painful to watch. I used to actually re- it was a it was a revelatory rewatch for me because I'd seen Purple Rain years ago and I remember yeah. hating it because I just was like, oh, he's such an he's such an asshole in it. Like, why would <laughs> I like this character? And then rewatching it, it was weird because one of the guests came on. We had two guests, and one of them just loved the movie just his entire life, and the other guest had only just seen it for the first time, and she was like infuriated she despised it for all the reasons i used to hate it and then yeah. after the rewatch i was like you know what I th- it was a lot better than i remember i really I w- enjoyed it <laughs> i always connected that movie in my head to like saturday night fever where it was a similar like the main guy's kind of a dick yes but you yeah. follow him along anyway and it's such a specific time period that you're okay with it mm. although i think again one of the movies we're going to be talking about arguably both the movies are going to be both. talking about the main yeah. character, probably not the most likable of people. No, no. Yeah, th- those movies, by the way, officially this is SFW, which is from 1994, directed by Jeffrey Levy. We're based on a book, which I think I knew that before, but forgot about until literally this morning. And I'm like, I should get that book. So I ordered the only copy I found available on online, <laughs> a hardcover for like 20 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. But the screenplay... Interestingly, and I didn't know this at the time because I wouldn't have really paid attention to the screenwriters. I was, what, a teenager. Is One of the screenwriters is Danny Rubin, who wrote Groundhog Day. Oh. And, like, he's basically had three movies of his scripts produced. Groundhog Day, SFW, and, oh, shit, what's the title of the one where she's deaf? Uh, Nell? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nell's not deaf. <laughs> um, oh. Or blind. Wait, you know, he didn't write the blind one. What did he write? Now I forgot. I'll come to me or I'll look it up. But Danny Rubin like wrote the screenplay for it, like based on a novel. And mm. when I found that out doing Groundhog Day Project, I'm like, that's really weird. Cause I, li- I like this movie when it came out, but it's a very different kind of movie than Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's also like strangely appropriate. Cause in doing a little bit of like, oh, back research on the other movie, Ruby Sparks, yeah. you know, screenwriter there is Zoe Kazan. Mm-hmm. She said her two main influences were the Purple Rose of Cairo and Groundhog Day. Yeah. So, it was weird. It was nice ties in quite nicely there. I have to say, though, SFW, that was actually my first time watching the film. I'd never, I'd oh. never seen it before. Uh, the other movie's called Hear No Eve, by the way. Oh, okay. From 93. <laughs> I was like, isn't that the, the Richard Pryor Gene Wilder one? <laughs> Wait, what's that one called? <laughs> is that See No Evil, Hear No Evil? Yes, yes. It's, okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. They expanded out the idea. They're like, well, yeah. Hear No Evil, but what? Well, because they had a blind guy and a deaf guy. Yeah. And hilarity ensues. They got a third one in. It's like, what can we do with that? This guy can't speak or something. There you go. Nell No Evil. I don't think I've seen Hear No Evil since 93, though. I think it was good. Yeah. It's uh, Marley Matlin. Well, that, 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 that was the thing, though. Like, SFW, that seems to have got, like, critically, if you go look that up, 
that's like about a twelve percent in Rotten Tomatoes or something. It seems like, yeah, critics didn't like it. Yeah, but and watching it, it's like it's for sure like a time capsule relic oh, of yeah. the nineties. Yes, but it's pretty good. Like it was all the just the music, the the actors, and where they were in their careers. I mean, yeah. Stephen Dorff. You got your. This is before Blade. Yeah, even for him, you got the or Blade Two, whichever one he was in. Like Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, she's real. Um, Back in her indie darling kind of like freeway mm-hmm. yeah. best laid plans day of like oh yeah she used to be like like indie actress and then legally blonde happened and she just became superstar Reese Witherspoon but it's a yeah I was almost kind of shocked because what's it's ninety five I kind of thought like oh well, th- thought you'd been like what age was she been then like seventeen or eighteen like she'd been quite young at that point Let's see she was born in seventy six so filming they I, I don't know when it came out in ninety four but filming would have been either early ninety four or ninety three so she's what seventeen mm. she's basically playing her age because mm. she plays a teenager <laughs> and it's just it's one of those ones though because of the subject matter it almost seems like Maybe maybe it wasn't enjoyed as much because it's a, it's almost a little too like ahead ahead of its time at that point. Mm-hmm, yeah, it seems to be the whole thing of it is you know making celebrities out of non celebrities, right? And you know the, the public's fickleness before the internet. Yes, yeah. yes, and even really before like I'm not too sure if like the real world and stuff would have been going then, but. Like before reality TV, it had started, but it was only it wasn't popular. Yeah, Real World was probably a few seasons in in ninety four, ninety five. It just seems like yeah, if you released that in like two thousand and two, it would have been probably considered a much a much sharper social satire. But maybe back in ninety four, it was sort of like it's it's kind of a weird take on a a thing that's not quite an issue yet. Right. But uh, I, I thought it was pretty good, mostly because like Stephen Dorff really does. He completely carries it. <laughs> yeah, he, he sells very well a character who you know has been for a long time an asshole, mm. but kind of thrives on that, and then is put in a position where people like him, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. It does have that. Again, though, like, thematically, it would tie into Ruby Sparks, I guess, mm-hmm. because yeah. that's a, a, you know, a, a person who is brought into the you know the public light or whatever, brought into the world, and a ver- the, the version of what people think Ruby or Spob, or like or the way they're supposed to be, but and then them them developing their own emotions inside that uh, that are in conflict with what people perceive them as being. Yeah, because, you know, Spob for the most part, he's he is kind of like well, he went through all that stuff and a lot of the things he was coming out and saying that people turn into slogans and stuff might have meant them at the time, but you can see that like he. There's indications throughout that he's a lot more traumatized by the events that actually happened when he was held hostage than people might actually think. Like, he does seem to have a very, you know, it's obviously going to take a toll on you, no matter how much of a, you know, so effing what uh, (laughs) attitude you're putting out there and stuff. But he does seem to genuinely be devastated by the death of his friend and and, and think of elements like that. Now, since this movie isn't streaming, I guess we could, and people may not have even seen it or heard of it, we should say what the plot is. Essentially... A small group, I think it's initially like five people, are taken hostage in a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Or I think it's a fictional name of the store, but it's a 7-Eleven. So it's a convenience store. And they are held hostage for a month by people who film them and basically broadcast the footage every night. Mm. And force them to just be. That's be- the people, it's, it's, it's weird too, because like, as you're watching it, because when they get out, then like they ask Spob and the, the you know Reese Witherspoon, like, oh, what did these guys want? Like, what was their whole purpose? And like, I don't know what they wanted. This was just their uh, some. Well, yeah, and no one does because they end up dead. Yeah, you know the yeah. the guys who took them hostage are killed. But the, but the weirdest thing is though, like they have chosen to stay in there with these hostages mm-hmm. who are on camera all the time. But every time you see the guys who are holding them hostage, yeah. they've got, like, masks and tights over their heads and stuff. It's like, so you're going to have to wear that the entire goddamn time? It's like, surely you just go in and be like, screw it. Yeah, you can see our faces, too. We don't care. Well, yeah, at some point you got to make the decision, we're doing this media thing we're creating. We should be in on it, too. And take your masks off. Be on camera. Mm. Or they are a massive organization that switches out people every few hours so they can take their outfits off. Yeah, it could be. It could be, actually, yeah. I I guess the movie doesn't depend on the reality of that situation, though. Because also, cops would have moved in on a thing after, like, in that amount of time. Or surrounded the place. Cut power, you know. Yeah. I really enjoyed, though, some of the things I thought were done really well in it were... Because mm-hmm. it has a cold open of yeah. footage of them inside after... Like, it's the last day. 
And it's very, like, cinema verite, kind of, like, it's dirt, dirt realistic, and it just looks like it's all handheld camera footage and stuff. But then when they cut the flashbacks of the hostage situation within the movie, it's almost like it's, an, like, an alien abduction yeah. scene. There's, like, all these bright lights everywhere, and it's it, it's genuinely quite unpleasant. Like, you really do feel like, oh, this is a horrible situation <laughs> that everybody's in. And it was horrible when it was handheld camera footage anyway, because you could see how dirty and, you know, unkempt and just exhausted everybody was. Yeah, after a month, the store was a mess. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, it's just two, managing to do two variations on the idea of like, well, how horrible would it be to be abducted for a month and kept it in this one location? And then doing it two stylistically different ways and doing them both perfectly. <laughs> so I was like, oh, fam. See, and you, and you said it'd be interesting if this came out in like 2002. I wonder how it would this plot would play out now when people like try to be like Instagram influencers and like some people might be like, oh, yeah, I'll be held hostage for a month to be famous. And you could play a whole other angle on it. Yeah. In a, in a post, uh, yeah. In a post Ingrid goes West world. What would, uh, S SFW like, that'd be, that'd be an interesting crossover sequel. Like Spob, he now becomes one of the hostage takers and he, <laughs> he ropes in Aubrey Plaza from Ingrid <laughs> goes West and they both, Decide, like, this is how we're going to make our mark in the world. <laughs> well, that'd, that'd be like the Saw series. You know, one of the first victims becomes one of the people who leads the effort later. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it'd be a lot more pleasant than... I'd say I tried last Halloween to make it through all the Saw movies. And it was... I've, like, I made it through all those Hellraiser movies, no problem. But, like, Saw was just like... If, if you can handle the gore... No, it's the not that it was violent. Yeah. It was just like... It was just shit. Like, it was really, really bad. Individually, the Saw movies <laughs> like, are I've, not that good. What's weird about them is if you can handle the gore as a series, they're really good because they made this effort to play this theme throughout where like early victims become perpetrators Mm. and then there's a disagreement halfway through the series on how do they perpetrate these things and do they want people to die or do they want people to save themselves and they form like these two groups. But the movies are all focused on the victims, and so you gradually figure out what's going on. It's kind of interesting. Mm. That'd be interesting, though, if it was... Who was it that did sub, like, Lee Whannell, wasn't yeah. it, who wrote it originally? Mm-hmm. Or if he went back then and retroactively said, you know who Jigsaw was really the whole time? He was Spock. <laughs> and this was his, like, he went crazy. And, like, ten years afterwards, it drastically aged him, obviously, <laughs> because... He's like 50 years older or whatever. We just, we just want all movies to cross over is the thing. Yeah. I do that when, when a character will show up like, uh, oh, I forget the actor's name, but the, the black guy in High Fidelity. Oh, yeah. He's also in Swingers. And in, when I was watching High Fidelity, I'm like, they didn't say his name. I'm just going to imagine he's the same guy. <laughs> Might as well. And like, yeah. Actors will show up in something. I'm like, yeah, they're playing their character from the other movie. It's I don't care if you put a different name on it. That's what they're doing. Mm. The thing is, SFW then... Weirdly, the the thing it reminded me of the most, though, if I had to have to like, oh, like a double bill yeah. of like of your you know of a screening, it'd be this and like Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Huh. It does have that real vibe of like this is a guy just going about his business, thrust into the situation, and people are now hailing him, yeah, as if he is the 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 answer to to everything. It's almost like you could have a triple bill with like being there as well, huh. like yeah. the Peter Sellers movie. But just, yeah, that idea of just some guy just like, I said some stuff, and apparently now it's on t-shirts and stuff, and everybody <laughs> thinks I'm like this crazy genius. And, and then I really enjoyed it, because what well, it actually was doing again, slightly, maybe because it just it's a thing that happens in culture all the time, but it was slightly ahead of its, you know, or predicting the future in one way of the, the, the fickleness of the public yes. and the way everything's swings and roundabouts because near the climax of the movie when he's making a speech and everyone's in this nihilistic like everything nothing matters yeah. like real grunge era like you know just screw everything kind of attitude someone like a like an honor student like a really intelligent young woman stands up and shouts like everything matters <laughs> tries to kill him and then she becomes the new sort of the new celebrity and the, her slogan takes over yeah yeah but it's just because that's it's kind of like you see things like that in culture though because you remember like back in the late 90s through the early 2000s there was a real like the, the scene of comedy was like that's when you had like the rise of like south park and mm-hmm. family guy and it was all like everything's free game you can make fun of whatever you want everything like it doesn't matter like nothing's serious we can t- take the piss out of whatever we want and that's just the way culture was. And that now people, the next generation, are much, much more sensitive to that stuff. And you can't imagine these kind of things been like put out on like a, a television network. 
after so much, you know, after, you know, re- you know recent years and stuff. And it's almost kind of like that. It's like, yeah, you know, Spob's attitude of like, you know what? Just do whatever you want. Just who cares? Who gives a shit? So fucking what? Then been followed up by, you know, a younger person going, no, everything does matter. And you can't say these things. And you can't, you have to care about stuff. And you have to be considerate of, of others and all this kind of stuff. So it's, like, it could be that they just knew that was a thing that happens. It could have happened from like the 50s to the 60s and yeah. the 70s and the 80s and stuff. And you just had to be there to see it. I'm actually curious now when the book was published. That's a, because it's such an, it's such a 90s movie. If that book came out in, like, the early 80s, I'd be pretty shocked. Come on, give me a year. That's interesting. The Wikipedia for the movie doesn't even mention the book. Oh. That's horrible. I do know, actually, weirdly, on... If you Google Ruby Sparks, there's mention of, like, a Goodreads reviews of it. Yeah, even though that's for books. And it seems to be indicating that that, that was a book as well. But, it's, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. I was kind of sitting going, like, are they talking about the screenplay? Or... Did Zoe Kazan go on to publish it as a as an actual novel? I don't think so. Uh, SFW, by the way, the book came out in 1991. Ah, so that is the that's still that's grunge era. Yeah, so that, that actually makes <laughs> more sense than 94, 95. Mm. There, it's like the mid 90s in America. I was just talking about these yesterday. Actually, it was a little too uneventful. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like Clinton was president and. Everything bad that was happening was somewhere else mm. for a few years. I think that's why I, I always have a kind of almost like a <laughs> like I wish I was one of these people. Like when you see characters like Toby Maguire's character in mm-hmm. SFW, like he features as like a really young kind of Bill and Tedish yeah. sort of heavy metal head guy, and they're just sort of you know not even so much heavy metal as like yeah grunge kids and stuff, and he seems pretty happy. Like, mm-hmm. considering all the, the angst that's in the grunge music from, like, friggin' Nirvana and Pearl Jam, all there's a lot of anger there and stuff. This, you, you see that in, like, Beavis and Butthead and, and well, Bill and Ted are probably proper metalheads and stuff, but that kind of era of teenager, they just seem to be pretty, like, yeah, everything's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, like, metal fans or horror fans are often some of the nicest people, and it's like, they, they have an outlet. Yeah. They know what to do to just get all that shit out of their system. Mm. And so they're usually in a good mood. Yeah, yeah. But it's, um... I kind of was wondering about because uh, I know you're also doing you're covering Wonderfalls like episode by episode, but that's like ten years later, but it's still got like the character I guess who's slightly older. She's in her twenties, but then it's, yeah. it's gone from Generation X to Gen. Well, Spab's in his twenties. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. But yeah, going from Generation X to Gen Y, and there's still mm-hmm. this sort of disillusioned, like, eh, <laughs> sort of real mess. Attitudes towards yeah, everything. Ennui. <laughs> I was wondering at any point because I, I think when I even when I saw that episode way back in like 2004, whenever it aired, I, even I was going, "There's a generation. There's a Gen Y. <laughs> Isn't it just the same as Gen X? Because <laughs> it just has the same attitude." It, yeah, I think the difference is Gen X thought they had prospects, and Gen Y gave up. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we're moved on to whatever we are now. <laughs> Millennials, post-millennials, whatever. Sometimes when you look back on some of those things, like another real Gen X movie would be Reality Bites. Yeah. And if, as you, if you watch it now, like if I watch it now as a man in my 30s, and you're, you know, back in the day, you'd be all on Ethan Hawke's side. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, he's got the right idea, and Ben Stiller's such a square. And now you look back, and it's like, Ben Stiller's just like a guy trying to make his way in the world. He's, <laughs> he seems like a nice fellow. <laughs> like, Ethan Hawke seems like a guy who's got to set up his own ass. Like, who, why, why am I supposed to like him? He's so aggressively pretentious and rude to people. It's like the, that line in a line of dialogue in Swimming with Sharks, where he's like, if, if you haven't, I forget the exact wording. I'll insert the audio here, probably. Look, I can appreciate this. I was young, too. I felt just like you. Hated authority, hated all my bosses, thought they were full of shit. Look, it's like they say, if you're not a rebel by the age of 20, you got no heart. But if you haven't turned establishment by 30, you got no brains. Because there are no storybook romances, no fairy tale endings. So before you run out and change the world, ask yourself, what do you really want? (laughs) Yeah, rebel, and then give up on that, become normal. Mm. <laughs> Which is sad. Yeah. True, but sad. Yeah. I think most of my memories of swimming with sharks are just Frank Whaley's hair. I was always <laughs> really impressed. It's like a really mighty quiff, that guy. It's like, oh, that's, oh, that's, yes. that's just yes. the way his hair goes. Because every time you do see him, he does have a, quite a bit of build going on. <laughs> so it might just be like, it just happens. Like, yeah. This is just the way it goes. And it's sort of like the type he got cast as. So they just did his hair that way for movies. Yeah. 
one last note, in case we don't focus much on SFW in the next episode. I would point out, coming back to the Danny Rubin thing, that the old couple that goes in Spab's hotel room near the end of the movie are named Phil and Rita Connors. Oh. Oh. It's a little in-joke that Danny Rubin put in the script. Hey. Do you think you can get Sean German and Dave Palace to watch SFW and cover that minute by minute? I should have made. I should have tried to get them for this. Yeah, to talk about it for this. Yeah, yeah. that would have been good. Although, would you then follow up to then do a blog about watching this movie? Well, you could theoretically do it. Well, they, well, they held hostage for like. I wrote about this movie in my blog actually. Oh, but only so for like done, three days, I think it was. Like, if they're held hostage for like what thirty six days, you could have watched it thirty six days <laughs> to see how that worked. Thirty six days of SFW. Yeah, actually, that's a good high concept. Yeah, yeah. me and uh, me and John actually were talking last night because we did our first ever for the Batman at Patreon. We did our first ever audio commentary where we just watched Beetlejuice and we're like we just sat and talked over it. Nice. And it was weird because like. After you're used to looking at a movie and covering it literally minute by minute, like, I didn't get virtually anything I wanted to say about Beetlejuice out of my system. <laughs> like, because it's over in an hour and a half. You just like, yeah. and you just, you can't. So I, I was like saying like, oh, I could, I could do an entirely, I could do another commentary on it entirely differently. And then we were hit upon the idea of like, what if we just did the same movie audio commentary over and over and over again? So we just had a, a week of just. That's that's what my blog was often. I, I generally wrote while the movie was on. Yeah. So if I had done it as audio, that's what it would have been. Yeah. That's a like live response. And I, di- I did a commentary for Mandy. <laughs> and that turned into me ranting about the complaining about the movie, rewriting the plot so it would be better. Then, because they play a bit of a Ronald Reagan speech, I included more of that speech and went on a rant about Ronald Reagan and how awful it was. <laughs> because why not? You know, I got two hours. <laughs> I can do whatever I want in, this, in that episode. I don't know you ever got out of your system, Robert. Like, how did you, what did you think of Mandy? Did you, did you like it as a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listeners who haven't been paying attention, Mandy Sucks Minute was me watching each minute of that movie and hating it. Except for, there was one minute where I didn't hate... I was like, wait, this minute's okay. <laughs> uh, otherwise, no. There were extra episodes. You that. didn't get any um, kind of like like a Stockholm Syndrome. Like after a while, where you're like, you know what? I think, I think I'm coming around. I think I get what this guy's trying to no. say. No. In, in fact, it kind of got worse. <laughs> like I had only seen the movie through from beginning to end once before I did that. And then I was like... I don't like this. And I watched it again toward the end because I wanted to watch the whole thing and see if it made more sense now. And it, I didn't, I liked it less. <laughs> so I'm, like the one thing that I had kind of liked before, I was like, no, that's really stupid, actually. It was the, the Cheddar Goblins. I was kind of entertained by that the first time. Mm. And fans of that movie love those. I'm like, that part's stupid. It serves no purpose. I was wondering what. Well, particularly next season of Batman, because we'll be covering Batman and Robin, you know, widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made and stuff. And yeah. I, I've wondered even throughout this season, because I'm I'm always very supportive of Batman Forever. Like, we've nitpicked the hell out of it and said, like, how much better you could have, mm-hmm. better film you could have made. Yes. But, like, we've had guests come on, like, who are like, this is trash. It's absolutely awful. What the hell? Like, oh, look how stupid everything is. And, I, like, I am, in particular, I'm sitting going, like, yeah, I know it's stupid, but I really like it. And I, I'm wondering if it's like, is it now I'm just, I have been Stockholm Syndrome into midway through going, yeah, Dick Grayson's like doing karate with the socks. Well, it's great. Parts of Batman Forever are really good. I think I, I was a guest on your show and it was, we didn't get to talk about the whole movie, I don't think. And I worked at a movie theater when Batman Forever came out. And I would see the beginning and the end of the movie all the time. And the beginning's pretty good. The ending's pretty good. And I realized there's like this 40-minute stretch in the middle of the movie that's entirely pointless. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to cut that whole middle out yeah. and see how the movie flows. Oh, my, my big revelation of it is just like I want so much more put in. Because when you know what they took out that yeah. that was like the guts of the story arc of Bruce Wayne, and you're like, why would you ever cut that? And the, the only reason we can think of is like, they were like, oh, yeah, we accidentally had this ac- really good plot line here. <laughs> and yeah, they accidentally had a good drama, and they wanted to do some cheesy action movie. Yeah, they, they wanted to make it like, oh, it's supposed to be like the old Silver Age comics and stuff. But now we've put this really psychologically intense like, you know, character arc for the main character in here. So it, uh, I guess we can get rid of that. And you don't want that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we had someone on who was speculating that it might have been an early development 
where Michael Keaton was encouraging them to write that kind of stuff. Yeah, because he was still attached, right? Yeah, like very early days. And then Joel, he, he did work with Joel Schumacher for a while. And then Schumacher said, like, I think he wasn't very happy with me. So he walked, he, he walked away. So it wouldn't be surprised if, like, yeah, all of that, all of the Red Book stuff was Michael Keaton. That's what they were making that for him. And then when he was gone, they're like, you know what? If anything can go, we can just jettison that because that's not what we wanted to do. That's what he wanted to do. Right. But hey, we may never know. No. Well, I assume, speaking of uh, where we can find you, <laughs> I assume that's a lot of what you cover on Batman Forever. Niall, where can the listeners hear more from you? Oh, you can find that on any, on any podcatcher. Uh, I believe we're on, like, you know, their uh, Apple Podcasts. Still, it's all the major ones. And I believe Spotify. We're on there as well. Uh, and yeah, if you want to, we have a the Batman Listener's Cave where we just, that's very, like a very active social media page. We just <laughs> sit and talk about Batman and very tangentially related to Batman fair. So if you have any thoughts about like, you know, Jim Carrey's trousers you saw him wear in one movie, you can come and post about that and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Like we're, we're happy for anyone to come in. So I'll get some Jim Carrey next year when I do Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Oh, you're, oh, you're actually going ahead with that. I'm, yeah, whenever Annihilation is done, I want to do. Eternal Sunshine and Ex Machina, or Minutia Ex Machina, at the same time. Oh, are you doing them like Annihilation where it's just you, or are you having people on? I'm trying to find a some sort of hybrid mm. where it's like a lot of just me, but there's room for guests. I don't, I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but I got a little over a year, I think, to figure that out, because I'm doing it after Annihilation. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute, or find us in the Facebook listeners group cock and bull pub find more content at lemmingdrops.com due to adult content parental discretion is advised to begin are you watching closely to begin i just i'm bored to start what plaything can you offer me today here's the deal just give me the facts just the facts only the facts breathe focus keep it simple no 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 doubt no doubt okay look cock and bull minute a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. We're here today ostensibly to talk about Group 11, SFW, and Ruby Sparks. Hmm. My guest is Niall McGowan. You can introduce yourself if you like. Oh, hey. I am the aforementioned Niall McGowan. I am from Bat Minute, which is a podcast where we look at the Batman movies from 1989 up to and including 1997 and possibly beyond. After We'll have to make the decision after next season. Just one minute at a time. Have you done any coverage of the, like, the, the 60s series or the 66 movie? No, no, it's it's one of those things that'll probably be done during hiatus projects. Okay. Like, we yeah. do have, in between seasons, we had, like, after 89, we looked at all the Prince movies. Wait, aren't there, like, only two? There's three. There's uh, Purple Rain, yeah. Under the Cherry Moon, and Graffiti right. Bridge. Graffiti? Uh, wow, I forgot Graffiti Bridge. Oh, it's it's atrocious. Like it was actively <laughs> painful to watch. I used to actually. Re- it was a it was a revelatory rewatch for me because I'd seen Purple Rain years ago and I remember yeah. hating it because I just was like, oh, he's such an he's such an asshole in it. Like, why would <laughs> you like this character? And then rewatching it, it was weird because one of the guests came on. We had two guests, and one of them just loved the movie just his entire life, and the other guest had only just seen it for the first time, and she was like infuriated she despised it for all the reasons i used to hate it and then yeah. after the rewatch i was like you know what I, it was a lot better than i remember i really I, enjoyed it i always connected that movie in my head to like saturday night fever where it was a similar like the main guy's kind of a dick yes but you yeah. follow him along anyway and it's such a specific time period that you're okay with it mm. although i think again one of the movies we're going to be talking about arguably both of the movies are going to be both. talking about the main yeah. character probably not the most likable of people no no yeah th- those movies by the way officially this is sfw which is from 1994 directed by jeffrey levy were based on a book which i think i knew that before but forgot about until literally this morning and i'm like i should get that book so i ordered the only copy i found available on online 
<laughs> a hardcover for like 20 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. But the screenplay, interestingly, and I didn't know this at the time because I wouldn't have really paid attention to the screenwriters because I was, what, a teenager, is one of the screenwriters is Danny Rubin, who wrote Groundhog Day. Oh. And like he's basically had three movies of his scripts produced. Groundhog Day, SFW, and, oh shit, what's the title of the one where she's deaf? Uh, Nell? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nell's not deaf. <laughs> um, oh. Or blind. Wait, did he, no, he didn't write the blind one. What did he write? Now I forgot. I'll come to me or I'll look it up. But Danny Rubin, like, wrote the scribbleplay for it, like, based on a novel. And mm. when I found that out doing Groundhog Day Project, I'm like, that's really weird. Because I, li- I like this movie when it came out. But it's a very different kind of movie than Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's also, like, strangely appropriate, because in doing a little bit of, like, oh, back research on the other movie, Ruby Sparks, yeah. you know, screenwriter there, Zoe Kazan, mm-hmm. she said her two main influences were The Purple Rose of Cairo and Groundhog Day. Yeah. So, yeah, it was weird. Nice ties in quite nicely there. I have to say, though, SFW, that was actually my first time watching the film. I've never, I've oh. never seen it before. Uh, the other movie's called Hear No Eve, by the way. Oh, okay. From <laughs> I was like, isn't that the, the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder one? <laughs> Wait, what's that one called? Is <laughs> that See No Evil, Hear No Evil? Yes, yes. It's, okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. They expanded out the idea. They're like, well, yeah. Hear No Evil, but what? <laughs> well, because they had a blind guy and a deaf guy. Yeah. And hilarity ensues. They got a third one in. It's like, what can we do with that? <laughs> this guy can't speak or something. There you go. Nell No Evil. I don't think I've seen Hear No Evil since 93, though. I think it was good. Yeah. It's uh, Marley Matlin. Well, that, 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 that was the thing, though. Like, SFW, that seems to have got, like, critically, if you go look that up, that's like about a 12% in Rotten Tomatoes or something. It seems to have, yeah, critics didn't like it. Yeah, but and watching it, it's like, it's for sure like a time capsule relic oh, of yeah. the 90s. Yes. But it's pretty good. Like, it was. Oh, the, just the music, the. The actors and where they were in their careers. I mean, yeah. Stephen Dorff. You got your... This is before Blade. Yeah. Even for him. You got the... Or Blade 2, whichever one he was in. Like... Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, she's real um, back in her indie darling kind of like freeway mm-hmm. yeah. best laid plans day of like, oh yeah, she used to be like like indie actress. And then Legally Blonde happened and she just became superstar Reese Witherspoon. But it's a, yeah, I was almost kind of shocked because what's, it's 95. I kind of thought like, oh, I thought she'd been like, what age was she been then? Like 17 or 18? Like she'd been quite young at that point. Let's see, she was born in 76. So filming, they, I, I don't know when it came out in 94, but filming would have been either early 94 or 93. So she's, what, 17? Yeah. She's basically playing her age because mm. she plays a teenager. <laughs> and it's just, it's one of those ones though, because of the subject matter, it almost seems like, Maybe maybe it wasn't enjoyed as much because it's a, it's almost a little too like ahead ahead of its time at that point. Mm-hmm, yeah, it seems to be the whole thing of it is you know making celebrities out of non celebrities, right? And you know the, the public's fickleness before the internet. Yes, yeah. yes, and even really before like I'm not too sure if like the real world and stuff would have been going then, but. Like before reality TV, at least. it had started, but it was only it wasn't popular. Yeah, Real World was probably a few seasons in in ninety four, ninety five. It just seems like yeah, if you released that in like two thousand and two, mm-hmm. it would have been probably considered a much a much sharper social satire. But maybe back in ninety four, it was sort of like well, it's, it's kind of a weird take on a, a thing that's not quite an issue yet. Right. But it's a, I, I thought it was pretty good, mostly because like Stephen Dorff really does. He completely carries it. <laughs> yeah, he, he sells very well a character who you know has been for a long time an asshole, mm. but kind of thrives on that, and then is put in a position where people like him, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. It does have that... Again, though, like, thematically, it would tie into Ruby Sparks, I guess, mm-hmm. because yeah. that's a, a, you know, a, a person who is brought into the you know the public light or whatever, brought into the world, and a ver- the, the version of what people think... Ruby or Spob, or like or the way they're supposed to be, but and then they're them developing their own emotions inside that uh, that are in conflict with what people perceive them as being. Yeah, because, you know, Spob for the most part, he's he is kind of like well, he went through all that stuff and a lot of the things he was coming out and saying that people turn into slogans and stuff might have meant them at the time, but you can see that like he. There's indications throughout that he's a lot more traumatized by the events that actually happened when he was held hostage than people might actually think like he does seem to have a very 
you know, it's obviously going to take a toll on you, no matter how much of a, you know, so effing what yeah. uh, <laughs> attitude you're putting out there and stuff. But he does seem to genuinely be devastated by the death of his friend and, and, and think of elements like that. Now, since this movie isn't streaming, I guess we could, and people may not have even seen it or heard of it, we should say what the plot is. Essentially, a small group, I think it's initially like five people, are taken hostage in a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Or I think it's a fictional name of the store, but it's a 7-Eleven. So it's a convenience store. And they are held hostage for a month by people who film them and basically broadcast the footage every night mm. and force them to just be. That's be the people. It's 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 weird too because like as you're watching it, because when they get out, then like they ask Bob and the, the you know Reese Witherspoon like, well, what did these guys want? Like, what was their whole purpose? And like, I don't know what they wanted. This was just their uh, some. Well, yeah, and no one does because they end up dead. Yeah, you know the yeah. the guys who took them hostage are killed. But the, <laughs> But the weirdest thing is, though, like, they have chosen to stay in there with these hostages mm-hmm. who are on camera all the time. But every time you see the guys who are holding them hostage, yeah. they've got, like, masks and tights over their heads and stuff. <laughs> it's like, so you're going to have to wear that the entire goddamn time? It's like, surely you just go in and be like, screw it. Yeah, you can see our faces, too. We don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, at some point you got to make the decision, we're doing this media thing we're creating. We should be in on it, too. And take your masks off, be on camera. Mm. Or they are a massive organization that switches out people every few hours so they can take their outfits off. Yeah, it could be. It could be, actually, yeah. I I guess the movie doesn't depend on the reality of that situation, though, because also cops would have moved in on a thing after, like, in that amount of time, or surrounded the place, and cut power, you know? Yeah. I really enjoyed, though, some of the things I thought that were done really well in it were... Because mm-hmm. it has a cold open of yeah. footage of them inside after, like, it's the last day. And it's very, like, cinema verite, kind of, like, it's dirt, dirt realistic. And it just looks like it's all handheld camera footage and stuff. But then when they cut the flashbacks of the hostage situation within the movie, it's almost like it's an, like an alien abduction yeah. scene. There's, like, all these bright lights everywhere, and it's... It's genuinely quite unpleasant. Like, you really do feel like, oh, this is a horrible situation that everybody's in. And it was horrible when it was handheld camera footage anyway, because you could see how dirty and, you know, unkempt and just exhausted everybody was. Yeah, after a month, the store was a mess. Yeah. But it's just like, it's just two, managing to do two variations on the idea of like, well, how horrible would it be to be abducted for a month and kept in this one location and then doing it two stylistically different ways and doing them both perfectly. So I was like, oh, fam. See, and you, and you said it'd be interesting if this came out in, like, 2002. I wonder how it would, this plot would play out now when people, like, try to be, like, Instagram influencers. And, like, some people might be like, oh, yeah, I'll be held hostage for a month to be famous. And you could play a whole other angle on it. Yeah. In a, in a post, uh... Yeah. In a post Ingrid Goes West world. What would, uh, S- SFW... Like, that'd be, that'd be an interesting crossover sequel. Like, Spob, he now becomes... One of the hostage takers, and he think he ropes in Aubrey Plaza. Ingrid <laughs> goes west, and they both decide like this is how we're going to make our mark in the world. Well, that'd that'd be like the Saw series. You know, one of the first victims becomes one of the people who leads the effort later. Oh yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Hopefully, it'd be <laughs> a lot more pleasant than I'd say. I tried last Halloween to make it through all the Saw movies, and it was I've like, I made it through all those Hellraiser movies, no problem. But like Saw was just like if if you can handle the gore, it's the, not that it was violent. Yeah. It was just like. It was just shit. Like, it was really, really bad. Individually, the Saw movies <laughs> like, are not that good. What's weird about them is, if you can handle the gore as a series, they're really good. Yeah. Because they made this effort to play this theme throughout where, like, early victims become perpetrators. Mm. And then there's a disagreement halfway through the series on how do they perpetrate these things. and Do they want people to die or do they want people to save themselves? And they form, like, these two groups... But the movies are all focused on the victims, and so you gradually figure out what's going on. It's kind of interesting. Mm. That'd be in- uh, interesting, though. If it was who was it that did stuff like Lee Winnell, wasn't yeah. it? Who wrote it originally? Mm-hmm. Or if he went back then and retroactively said, "You know who Jigsaw was really the whole time? He was Spock." <laughs> and this was his like he went crazy, and like ten years afterwards, it drastically aged him, obviously <laughs> because. He's like 50 years older or whatever. We just, we just want all movies to cross over is the thing. Yeah. I do that when, when a character will show up like, uh, oh, I forget the actor's name, but the, the black guy in High Fidelity. Oh, yeah. He's also in Swingers. And in, when I was watching High Fidelity, I'm like, they didn't say his name. I'm just going to imagine he's the same guy. <laughs> Might as well. And like, yeah. Actors will show up in something. I'm like, yeah, they're playing their character from the other movie. It's I don't care if you put a different name on it. That's what they're doing. Mm. The thing is, SFW then, 
weirdly the the thing it reminded me of the most though if i had to have to like oh like a double bill yeah. of like of your you know of a screening it'd be this and like monty python's the life of brian because huh. it does have that real vibe of like this is a guy just going about his business thrust into the situation and people are now hailing him yeah as if he is the the the, the answer to to everything it's almost like you could have a triple bill with like being there as well huh. like yeah. the peter sellers movie but just yeah, that idea of just some guy just like oh, I said some stuff, and apparently now it's on T-shirts and stuff, and everybody <laughs> thinks I'm like this crazy genius. And, and then I really enjoyed it because well, it actually was doing again slightly maybe because it just it's a thing that happens in culture all the time. But it was slightly ahead of its you know or predicting the future in one way of the the, the fickleness of the public yes. and the way everything's swings and roundabouts because near the climax of the movie when he's making a speech and everyone's in this nihilistic like everything nothing matters like real grunge era like you know just screw everything kind of attitude someone like a like an honor student like a really intelligent young woman stands up and shouts like everything matters (laughs) and tries to kill him and then she becomes the new sort of the new celebrity and the her slogan takes over yeah yeah but it's just because that's it's kind of like you see things like that in culture though because you remember like back in the late 90s through the early 2000s there was a real like the, the scene of comedy was like that's when you had like the rise of like south park and mm-hmm. family guy and it was all like everything's free game you can make fun of whatever you want everything like it doesn't matter like nothing's serious we can t- take the piss out of whatever we want and that's just the way culture was. And that now people, the next generation, are much, much more sensitive to that stuff. And you can't imagine these kind of things been like put out on like a, a, a television network after so much, you know, after you know, re- you know, recent years and stuff. And it's almost kind of like that. It's like, yeah, you know, Spob's attitude of like, you know what, just do whatever we want. Just who cares? Who gives a shit? So fucking what? Then been followed up by you know a younger person going, no. Everything does matter, and you can't say these things, and you can't. You have to care about stuff, and you have to be considerate of, of others, and all this kind of stuff. So it's. It could be that they just knew that was a thing that happens. It could have happened from like the fifties to the sixties and yeah. the seventies and the eighties and stuff, and you just had to be there to see it. I'm actually, curious now when the book was published. That's the, because it's such a it's such a nineties movie, and that book came out in like the early eighties. I'd be pretty shocked. Come on, give me a year. That's interesting. The Wikipedia for the movie doesn't even mention the book. Ah. That's horrible. I do know, actually, weirdly, on if you Google Ruby Sparks, there's mention of like a Goodreads reviews of it. Yeah, even though that's for books, and it seems to be indicating that 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 was a book as well. But it's, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. That's kind of sitting going like, are they talking about the screenplay, or did Zoe Kazan go on to publish it as a as an actual novel? I don't think so. Uh, SFW, by the way, the book came out in 1991. Ah, so. That is the, that's still, that's grunge era. Yeah. So. That, that actually makes <laughs> more sense than 94, 95. Mm. There, it's like the mid 90s in America. I was just talking about these yesterday, actually. It was a little too uneventful. Yeah. <laughs> it was like Clinton was president and everything bad that was happening was somewhere else mm. for a few years. I think that's why I'll, I always have a kind of almost like a, <laughs> like, I wish I was one of these people. Like when you see characters like, Toby Maguire's character in mm-hmm. SFW, like he features as like a really young kind of Bill and Ted-ish yeah. sort of heavy metal head guy. And they're just sort of, you know, not even so much heavy metal as like, yeah, grunge kids and stuff. And he seems pretty happy. Like mm-hmm. considering all the, the angst that's in the grunge music from like friggin' Nirvana and Pearl Jam, all there's a lot of anger there and stuff. <laughs> you see that in like Beavis and Butthead and, and well, Bill and Ted are probably proper metal heads and stuff, but that kind of era of teenager they just seem to be pretty, like, yeah, everything's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like like metal fans or horror fans are often some of the nicest people. And it's like they, they have an outlet. Yeah. They know what to do to just get all that shit out of their system. Mm. And so they're usually in a good mood. Yeah, yeah. But it's, um, I, I kind of was wondering about because uh, I know you're also doing, you're covering Wonderfalls, like episode by episode. But that's like 10 years later, but it's still got like, the character, I guess, who's slightly older. She's in her 20s. But then it's, yeah. it's gone from Generation X to Gen... Well, Spab's in his 20s. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. But, yeah, going from Generation X to Gen Y. And there's still mm-hmm. this sort of disillusioned, like, eh, <laughs> sort of real meh 
attitudes towards yeah, everything. On we. <laughs> I was wondering at any point because I, I think when I even when I saw that episode way back in like 2004, whenever it aired, I, even I was going, "There's a generation. There's a Gen Y. <laughs> Isn't it just the same as Gen X? Because <laughs> it just has the same attitude." It, yeah, I think the difference is. Gen X thought they had prospects, and Gen Y gave up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we're moved on to whatever we are now. <laughs> millennials, yeah. post-millennials, whatever. Sometimes when you look back on some of those things, like another real Gen X movie would be Reality Bites. Yeah. And if, as you, if you watch it now, like if I watch it now as a man in my 30s, and you're, you know, back in the day, you'd be all on Ethan Hawke's side. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, he's got the right idea, and Ben Stiller's such a square. And now you look back, it's like, Ben Stiller's is like a guy trying to make his way in the world. <laughs> he seems like a nice fellow. <laughs> like, Ethan Hawke seems like a guy who's got to set up his own ass. Like, who, why, why am I supposed to like him? He's so aggressively pretentious and rude to people. It's like the, that line in a line of dialogue in Swimming with Sharks, where he's like, if, if you haven't, I forget the exact wording. I'll insert the audio here, probably. Look, I can appreciate this. I was young, too. I felt just like you. Hated authority, hated all my bosses, thought they were full of shit. Look, it's like they say, if you're not a rebel by the age of 20, you got no heart. But if you haven't turned establishment by 30, you got no brains. Because there are no storybook romances, no fairy tale endings. So before you run out and change the world, ask yourself, what do you really want? <laughs> Yeah, rebel, and then give up on that, become normal. Mm. <laughs> Which is sad. Yeah. True, but sad. Yeah. I think most of my memories of Swimming with Sharks are just Frank Whaley's hair. I was always <laughs> really impressed. It's a really mighty quiff, that guy. It's like, oh, that's, oh, that's, yes. that's just yes. the way his hair goes. Because every time you do see him, he does have a, quite a bit of build going on. <laughs> so it might just be like, it just happens. Like, yeah. This is just the way it goes. And it's sort of like the type he got cast as, so they always just did his hair that way for movies. Yeah. One last note, in case we don't focus much on SFW in the next episode, I would point out, coming back to the Danny Rubin thing, that the old couple that goes in Spab's hotel room near the end of the movie are named Phil and Rita Connors. Oh. Oh. There's a little in-joke that Danny Rubin put in the script. Hey. Do you think you can get Sean German and Dave Palace to watch SFW and cover that minute by minute? I should have made. I should have tried to get them for this. Yeah, to talk about it for this. Yeah, yeah. that would have been good. Although, would you then follow up to then do a blog about watching this movie? You could theoretically do it. Well, they, well, they held hostage for like. I wrote about this movie in my blog actually. Oh, but only so for like done, three days, I think it was. Like, if they're held hostage for like what thirty six days, you could have watched it thirty six days. <laughs> To see how that works. Thirty six days of SFW. Yeah, actually, that's a good high concept. Yeah, yeah. me and uh, me and John actually were talking last night because we did our first ever for the Batman at Patreon. We did our first ever audio commentary where we just watched Beetlejuice and we're like we just sat and talked over it. Nice. And it was weird because like after you're used to looking at a movie and covering it literally minute by minute, like I didn't get virtually anything I wanted to say about Beetlejuice out of my system. <laughs> like, cause it's over in an hour and a half. You just like, yeah. and you just, you can't. So I, I was like saying like, oh, I could, I could do an entirely, I could do another commentary on it entirely differently. And then we were hit upon the idea of like, what if we just did the same movie audio commentary over and over and over again? So we just had like a week of just. That's, that's what my blog was often. I, I generally wrote while the movie was on. Yeah. So if I had done it as audio, that's what it would have been. Yeah. This it's be... like live response. And I, di I did a commentary for Mandy. <laughs> and that turned into me ranting about, like, complaining about the movie, rewriting the plot so it would be better. Then, because they play a bit of a Ronald Reagan speech, I included more of that speech and went on a rant about Ronald Reagan and how awful it was. <laughs> because why not? You know, I got two hours. I can do whatever I want in, this, in that episode. <laughs> I don't know you ever got out of your system, Robert. Like, how did you? What did you think of Mandy? Did you did you like it as a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listeners who haven't been paying attention, Mandy sucks. Minute was me watching each minute of that movie and hating it. Except for, there was one minute where I didn't hate. I was like, wait, this minute's okay. <laughs> uh, otherwise, no. There were extra episodes. You that. didn't get any um, kind of like like a Stockholm syndrome. Like after a while, where you're like, you know what? I think I think I'm coming around. I think I get what this guy's trying to. No, say. in in fact, it kind of got worse. <laughs> like I had only seen the movie through from beginning to end once before I did that, and then I was like, I don't like this. And I watched it again toward the end because I wanted to watch the whole thing and see if it made more sense now. And it, I didn't. I liked it less. <laughs> Like, the one thing that I had kind of liked before, I was like, no, that's really stupid, actually. 
was the the cheddar goblins i was kind of entertained by that the first time mm. and fans of that movie love those i'm like that part's stupid it serves no purpose i was wondering what well particularly next season of batman because we'll be covering batman and robin you know widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made and stuff and yeah i've wondered even throughout this season because i'm i'm always very supportive of batman forever like we've nitpicked the hell out of it and said like how much better you could have mm-hmm. better film you could have made yes but, like, we've had guests come on like who are like this is trash it's absolutely awful what the hell like oh look how stupid everything is and I, like i am in particular i'm sitting going like yeah, I know it's stupid, but I really like it. And I, I'm wondering if it's like, is it now I'm just, I have been Stockholm Syndrome into midway through going, yeah, Dick Grayson's like doing karate with the socks. Well, it's great. Parts of Batman Forever are really good. I think I, I was a guest on your show and it was, we didn't get to talk about the whole movie, I don't think. And I worked at a movie theater when Batman Forever came out. And I would see the beginning and the end of the movie all the time. And the beginning's pretty good. The ending's pretty good. And I realized there's like this 40-minute stretch in the middle of the movie that's entirely pointless. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to cut that whole middle out yeah. and see how the movie flows. Oh, my, my big revelation of it is just like I want so much more put in. Because when you know what they took out that yeah. that was like the guts of the story arc of Bruce Wayne. And you're like, why would you ever cut that? And the, the only reason we can think of is like... They were like, oh, yeah, we accidentally had this ac- really good plot line here. <laughs> and yeah, they accidentally had a good drama, and they wanted to do some cheesy action movie. Yeah, they wanted to make it like, oh, it's supposed to be like the old Silver Age comics and stuff. But now we've put this really psychologically intense like, you know, character arc for the main character in here. So uh, I guess we can get rid of that. And you don't want that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we had someone on who was speculating that it might have been an early development where Michael Keaton was encouraging them to write that kind of stuff. Because he was still attached, right? Yeah, like very early days. And then Joel, he, he did work with Joel Schumacher for a while. And then Schumacher said, like, I think he wasn't very happy with me. So he walked he, he walked away. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like, yeah, all that, all of the Red Book stuff was Michael Keaton. That's what they were making that for him. And then when he was gone, they're like, you know what? If anything can go, we can just jettison that. Because that's not what we wanted to do. That's what he wanted to do. Right. But hey, we may never know. No. Well, I assume, speaking of uh, where we can find you, <laughs> I assume that's a lot of what you cover on Batman and Forever. Niall, where can the listeners hear more from you? Oh, you can find that on any, on any podcatcher. Uh, I believe we're on, like, you know, their uh, Apple Podcasts. Still, it's all the major ones. And I believe Spotify. We're on there as well. Uh, and yeah, if you want to, we have a the Batman Listeners Cave where we just that's very like a very active social media page. We just <laughs> sit and talk about Batman and very tangentially related to Batman fare. So if you have any thoughts about like you know Jim Carrey's trousers you saw him wear in one movie, you can come and post about that, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Like we're we're happy for anyone to come in. So I'll get some Jim Carrey next year when I do Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Oh, you oh you're actually going ahead of that? I'm yeah. Whenever Annihilation is done, I want to do. Eternal Sunshine and Ex Machina, or Minutia Ex Machina, at the same time. Oh, are you doing them like Annihilation where it's just you, or are you having people on? I'm trying to find a some sort of hybrid mm. where it's like a lot of just me, but there's room for guests. I don't, I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but I got a little over a year, I think, to figure that out, because I'm doing it after Annihilation. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute, or find us in the Facebook listeners group. Cock and Bowl Pub. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.